Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the Inspired Minds podcast. Please welcome my incredibly smart and pretty damn cool, thanks to our earlier conversation guest, Mr. Christopher Lockhart. Would you mind saying hello to the audience, Christopher? Hello, audience, and Jeff Watson. I get thrown in there. I get my own special carve out. Thank you. I like that already. So I'm going to, we're going to go through, I have so many questions uh, about art and the process, but I always start this podcast off with the exact same question. And that is the following. When you were young, what was the first thing or the second thing that you can remember that really inspired you when you were a kid? Was it a song or a movie or a person? What lit you up? Hmm. It's, uh, it's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I loved, I loved old movies as a kid. Uh, I would say probably, uh, oddly enough, the Poseidon Adventure was that 1971. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think sort of as a movie, that was really, it, it was, it was blown up so big, right? You know, like, yeah. um, I remember they actually televised the premiere. It was like a TV wow. special. Really? Um, and I couldn't wait to see that movie. The trailer was amazing. <laughs> and we went to see it and we got sold out. And I was, I guess I was 1971. So I'm really bad in math, but I think I was like eight years old. Sure. And, and I cried because we got sold out, cried oh. all the way home. <laughs> and then like the, a week later we went back and, and uh, I think that was really sort of the, the, the first time that I became aware of sort of Hollywood and movie making because I was so intrigued by the movie. I was watching all of these things about, you know, the behind the scenes, mm. how they made that ship turn over. They had all of these specials. And, and so for me, I think that movie sort of kind of lit me up a little bit in regards to the movie business and entertainment, generally speaking. Yeah. Cause what I'm hearing is, God, I do sound like a therapist guy. What, I, what I'm hearing is, is that sense of the show, right? The spectacle as well. Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, I'm, you know, like who doesn't love spectacle, right? Like as a sure. kid, every, every Easter, it was about the Wizard of Oz and then it was about the, the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, these, these, yeah. these, these big, splashy, colorful movies filled with a lot of melodrama. And, and, and uh, I just... I just loved all that as a kid. And, and, but, but I was sort of removed from the whole idea of filmmaking. You know, I didn't know that like I could make a movie and I never did. So instead I, I gravitated toward the theater because that was more doable, mm -hmm. you know? So as a kid, I did plays at the library and in, and in elementary school and junior high school and then later high school. Um, and so I sort of, explored that avenue and then eventually in my life it, it it crisscrossed with film right and the reason i love asking this question is because you just answered i think the second part of the question which was how did that inspired moment carry you through to where you are now and yeah i just think that it, it was it was through that theater track right yeah it was that through mm -hmm. line that through line that i try to help the people find it right and yeah. i love that now you touched on the fun point that I want to dive right into because I'm a theater geek, okay? <laughs> right out of the gate when I was a kid. I was, like yourself, apparently, I was a musical theater kid. Um, so, and I, because I wasn't the cool kid, I wasn't the, the jock by far, 
but I had a voice and I could sing and I sang in church sometimes. So I really enjoyed it, you know? And so I know that you have a documentary about it that I really want to talk about, but I also want to see what that theater experience was like for you and see if we can match up somehow. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, I just, I just like the theater. I like the whole sort of rehearsal process and putting it together. Um, I loved all that. I actually loved the work, like even as a kid. And then of course the payoff was the audience, right. Yeah. And doing it uh, live, which to me was always kind of thrilling as a kid. Um, I like musical theater, but I, you know, I'm not a singer or a dancer, uh, but like when you're in high school and they need boys, you know, you can always find a role right. uh, in a show. Right. Uh, but um, uh, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. I was, we're, we're both basically reminiscing about the theater. I, oh yeah. I, and so, you know, I just, uh, I just think that for me, it was, it was about the work, but it was also about the, the friendships, you know, because you really did become friends with people. And uh, I was not athletic, so I didn't do any sports, period. Yep. And so for me, this was, this was the equivalent to, to a team, you know, and a team effort. And yeah, we didn't go out on the field, but we went out on the stage. It, it was, and it was really all the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a great point because you're out there on a high wire, aren't you? Absolutely. And especially when I was in high school, you know, I was like, I never followed the text, you know, we'd have live all the time and, and yeah. you know, we'd live off our wits. So <laughs> right, um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. You know, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a great way to express creativity and it was also a way to instill a little bit of, confidence because like even if you're not good everybody's telling you you're good you know, that's because like you're in high school that's true yeah. right exactly and so even if it's uh, uh, uh and, and you know it's not like i was ever going to be a professional actor anyway yeah. but but it was enough confidence to to kind of keep me in the theater then when i was in high school i started to write plays and then i became a lot more serious about writing plays when i was in college and so that was really then where my interests went. Uh, and then I eventually went to graduate school and studied dramatic writing. Yeah, I was MFA, right? I have an MFA from NYU's film school, yeah. That ain't bad. <laughs> I went in as a playwright, and it, and, and it was there where sort of the worlds crisscrossed, where I was really like formally introduced to uh, screenwriting and dramaturgy in that respect. And I did some internships. Uh, and so it was there where I really got my feet wet. And I was like, ah, and also I sort of realized, hmm, because like I did an internship at a theater, but I also did an internship at Columbia Pictures. And I could see, huh, the people at the theater, they seem to be living a, a much more marginalized life than these executives at Columbia Pictures. They seem to be living a much better life. So right. maybe movies is a better choice right. than, than theater if, like, I want to pay the bills. <laughs> exactly. Like, the typical playwright is like, I've got $4. 
That's exactly right. right. Yeah. You know, and and all right. So, you know, so so I took a dive, you know, I copped out. But uh, <laughs> but I have no complaints. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, this um, oh, before we continue, actually, I do want to just get this on the record. Uh, and I am going to sing to you a brief thing that I sang when I was in eighth grade. Little Gilbert and Sullivan. Here we go. Just popped in my head again. First time. Uh, I am the captain of the pinafore and a right good captain, too. Never mind. Very good. Get, I just had to get that out. I had to get bravo, that out. Bravo, bravo. I you know, I remember there. seeing the Pirates of Penzance um, on Broadway. Really? Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was with, I didn't see the original cast, but it was close to the original cast. I think it was like, like uh, um, I think Treat Williams was in it huh. and Maureen McGovern, who sang The Morning After really? in the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, and uh, oh, yeah, it all comes around. Baby. It does. It all, <laughs> it all, it all comes around. <laughs> it really does. Well, speaking of coming around, um, God, I am getting better at my segues these days. So I see that, you know, so you are a script agent. Is that the correct word? I am the, I, I am a story editor. Story editor, okay. So, right. So I'm not an agent. And uh, I work purely in a creative fashion. And basically, I look for material right. for um, A-list actors. That's what I thought, which is going to lead me to my next question, because this is really important to me. Most of this podcast is kind of like look through the lens of storytelling. And so like the concept of storytelling has saved my life from something I went through before. It has continued to save my life when I try and teach people to have to see their stories and beginning and a middle and an end and what you can divine from it. And so that's critical to my work. But that whole concept of, um, of finding stories I heard someone say this, and I want to see what you think. And that is that in order to, to be a good storyteller, you have to do two things. A, tell the story, whatever that means, film, art, poetry. But more importantly is to try and find the story. Yeah, well, you know, I think that I read a lot of scripts where perhaps the writers haven't found the story. And, uh, and I don't necessarily know what the story was supposed to be because I wasn't the one who started out to write. And, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think that that absolutely, absolutely makes sense. And, and um, that still doesn't mean that somebody won't spark to it, you right. know, and, 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 but you might have a much harder time finding that one or two people yeah. uh, who spark to it. But yes, I would say that that, that is a very good advice. Yeah, and I, I bring this up because this is thing I stole from uh, Keith Richards, and he said this a while ago when someone asked him, I say this all the time on the show, but someone asked him, how do you write a song? And he says, you just got to be a lightning rod for it because the song's already out there. And I was like, I get that. Yeah. Because you need to be present in the moment in order to let it come to you because in some metaphysical way, it's there. It's all there. The stories are flying all around us, the songs, the art, the paintings, you just got to be in line to catch it. And that's important for me when it comes to finding stories. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think sometimes Hollywood is, is, you know, maybe a little, uh, a little more superficial, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it's a little more of a factory in some ways yeah. um, where, where that kind of luxury maybe isn't, isn't always the case because screenwriting is not, it's not necessarily like playwriting or not necessarily like writing poetry in a novel because you could have 10 
writers contributing to a screenplay. Ah, true. So, you know, that, that, that one bolt of lightning may not necessarily strike all 10 people. So, uh, so there is a little bit of a practicality Mm. to, uh, to screenwriting and, and uh, at least in terms of Hollywood screenwriting. And so I always think that, that uh, uh, it's wise for the writer to, to have a little bit of both this, you know, this kind of esoteric creativity that you just pitched, but yet a little bit of practicality as well. Uh-huh. I think that, 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 that uh, it's an easier way to walk the tightrope. It's that old art for the sake of uh, money. <laughs> or not it's it's not so much that i guess it's it's really just the balance between art and commerce well you know i don't i don't think anything describe more than any artistic endeavor uh you know art and commerce speaks i think the loudest uh when you're talking about making films because mm-hmm. making a film it can be ridiculously expensive yeah yeah. As a matter of fact, are you familiar with the old brilliant comics, uh, Stan Freeberg? Sure. Back in the day? Yeah. Right. Stan Freeberg has an office in L.A. and it's still up, weirdly enough, um, somewhere in mid Wilshire. Tiny little place. It was original office. And there's this big uh, because, you know, they had the MGM Ars Gracia Ars. It was their big thing. Art for the sake of art. His, yeah, yes. he, had a, he had a stained glass thing. Beautiful. This is Ars Gracia Pecuniae. Ah, that's, yeah. that's, that's so good. Yeah, well, it's uh, and it it's true. You know, if you're spending if you're spending fifty million dollars on a piece of art uh, to make a movie, you want to be able to find a way to, uh, get, to get some of it back. <laughs> and oddly, most most of the time that doesn't happen. But yeah. yet, people, but yet the people still do it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so. I'm going to call you a story professional or a story diviner. That's maybe a better thing for just, I'm giving you a title now that you can throw away later, but All right, I'll take it. I thought you would. Um, so you've read over 60,000 scripts. I saw mm-hmm. Is that fair. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh? <laughs> how do you do that? Tell me, tell me how you can, how you can read like that. So quickly. It's, I'll tell you, it's getting, it's getting harder. And um, I think as I get older, it's getting a little harder. And uh but I'm not a fast reader. I think that's that. That's the. Uh, it take. I'm like a. I'm like a page a minute guy. Uh-huh. So if a screenplay is 120 pages, it's gonna take me two hours to read the script because uh-huh. I, I I I don't skim and I really need to read not just to be able to articulate on its pros and cons, but I also need to read for retention because uh-huh. I actually have to be able to sort of keep that story in my head. Because a year, two years, five years, 10 years later, I've been doing this for 25 years now, you know, I might actually need to sort of pull that story out from the back of my head. Right. And, um, and I do. And so it really is important for me to, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of my memory is about my eyes you know, so it's right. like I can actually see the script. I can actually pull the script from the back of my head. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's uh, I, honestly, I just I don't I don't think about it. I, you know, I, I guess like if I were an Olympic swimmer, of which I am not, 
And, you know, I had to like do this final lap. I don't know if those guys are actually thinking about it. They're just like, you know, you have to be a machine almost. Right. I, I would assume that's why I have to do it sometimes. I'm just, it's like, you know, I just, I just have to push through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, so I, so I don't really think about it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I did, did some quick math here on the uh, little computer while you were talking and uh, 7.2 million hours that you've spent reading my friend. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty scary. 7.2 million. And my math's not wrong because I double checked it while we were talking. Wow. I wish I had a dollar for, for right. Yeah. Or even 10 cents. That would even I'll, take, I'll gladly take 10 cents. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's it. But that's amazing. And the other thing I wanted to ask about almost from just a weird brain perspective, you file all that somewhere in your head. Uh, yes, but I also cheat because uh, I take very good notes. And um, so I, I, I have everything written and filed away. So um, I might talk to somebody who says, hey, do you remember reading this script? And I'm like, uh, what's the log line? And then they might give me the log line. And then it will start to come back to me. I'm very bad with titles now. Like I can't, it's almost impossible for me to remember titles. Right. anymore like maybe after about i don't know maybe fifteen thousand scripts the titles went right out of my head i worked with a guy named adam novak and he his memory is crazy impeccable he remembers everything like i do but he also remembers authors and titles oh my god and i'm bad like that you know i'm just like i simply remember the details of the story and then if i have to remember other things i can do a quick search uh and you know like because i can remember a character's name and i can do a quick search and then pull up my notes for it so uh so yeah so you know i don't want to make it sound like you know some kind of computer i definitely have things written down but i will say this actually this is kind of apropos of nothing really but you just mentioned log lines and it just reminded me of my favorite log line in history it'll never get better than this was from that uh, Tom Cruise vehicle cocktail, Brian Jones or whatever, or Brian Brown, because the tagline was brilliant. Not the logline, I get the tagline, whatever you call it, was when he pours, he rains. That's pretty good. Done. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, but no, that's great. I love that. And, and but again, yes, that is a tagline. It is not a logline, right? right? Because a logline, a logline tells us your story. Uh-huh. A tagline doesn't tell us the story a, right. a tagline really only works if you know a little bit about the, st- the story right so like um if we understand that he's a bartender then we have a better under a better understanding of you know sort of how punny that uh, uh correct that, or cronenberg's right or cronenberg's the fly be afraid very afraid you knew already right Exactly. And, and, and um, where a log line gives us very specific information, like who is the protagonist? What does the protagonist want to what stands oh. in the protagonist's way? So it's very, it's very specific. Right. So I want to uh, kind of head over. How did you find, tell me about the collector in the collection, because I'm a horror nerd. And I, I watched it a while ago and I was like, oh, this guy. Cool. How did, how did that happen? So... Uh, one of the writers, Patrick Melton, who was a Project Greenlight winner with his partner, Marcus Dunstan, who co-wrote The Collector. Um, Patrick was an intern of mine at ICM. 
So I ran the story department at ICM and Patrick was my intern. Then I eventually hired him. And uh, so long story short, he, he pitched the idea of the collector, which at that time was called the midnight man. And, um, and I thought it was real, like a really good pitch. And uh, they were looking to get paid to write the script and, I found somebody for them. You know, this was outside of the purview of my job. This was just me being a friend. Oh. And um, and I hooked them up with a particular company that paid them. And, and then I brought in some other elements to it to create this package. And then I threw myself in as a producer. Because that's exactly what I've been doing. You know, I'd already produced this. So, um, so that's how it started. Yeah, and actually, you basically said this, and well, then you, you said this earlier, and you said it now. But I want to kind of get more uh, thoughts on it. The quote you had somewhere else was, "When I realized that I have brought all the creative entities together, uh, which is a part of what a producer does." And I get that because it's kind of like herding cats in that metaphor, right? Would yeah, you say right? Absolutely. But then you say, "I inserted myself into the producing team." Now I'm still super naive, not Hollywood guy. So I don't know those. What's the difference between that part of the job and then the other part of the job? You mean um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Sorry, so, there's yeah, some, sure. you've got the herding cats yes. part of it, right? Like yes. that guy is going to go with this person and this woman, and here's the team, team building, really. Right. Then it's also I would assume financing and you know that kind of teamwork. But then is there another part of it, like on set or how creative? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, there was then the development of the screenplay. Right. right? So we had to do that. Uh, And then we had to sell the project. All right. Which we did. We sold it to the Weinsteins. It was originally produced by Dimension, which is the horror arm of of Miramax. Uh, But it was eventually... There was a whole rigmarole and then that didn't happen. Um, it was not released by Dimension. They actually sold it to Mickey Lydell and then he in turn released it. And the Weinstein's names, thankfully, were removed from the movie <laughs> right? as okay. a result of the sale. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yes, of course, it's the development of the script. It's being it's being on set, although, you know, I didn't have to do all didn't really have to do all that much because all the prep had been done and, you know, maybe there's a few fires that have to be put out, but there was a team of us. And then there's everything in post, you know, and kind of going there and seeing how things are going and giving your feedback and going to test screenings and, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's from the very beginning to the very end. I was, again, I was not involved in having to raise money because the money was put out by dimension. So, yeah. Interesting. Tell me more about the story development. That's really where I want to go with this because that I don't know. Yeah, so I, I, don't really, I don't really remember all the details, to be honest. I, just, well, I mean, in general, I'm sorry, but I mean, in general, what, that, what is that process like? Well, it varies. And, and, uh, but in this particular case, the boys, they had actually had this idea for many years. I think this was an idea that they had come up with when they were in college. They were in, I don't know if they were graduate. No, they were in college together in Iowa. And so they had come up with this idea. So it was an old idea. And then they sort of pitched it the way they thought it should be. And then we all sort of chimed in and and, and said, well, you know, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. And 
So we kind of give them the, the, the blueprints to go off and write the script. Again, we want to make sure that they're not going to go off and write something that, that we don't want to make. So you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And um, I don't recall if there was a, uh, if there was a treatment or something. I do remember that, uh, that the code name for the project was Snowflake, but that actually, that might've been the sequel. So, uh, you know, all these things, all these memories start to crash into each other after a while. (laughs) And, um, but so they went off and they wrote the first draft and then it, it came back. I remember it came back or it was, Christmas 2005, when that when the first draft came in, and then it was just a, you know a long process of sort of rewriting things and saying no this doesn't work or this doesn't work, and then of course there's all this rewriting when you're on the set because all of a sudden there's things that you can't do, money's short, yeah, uh, and so you have to make uh, all kinds of adjustments. Um, there were things that we argued about, like like I. I just had a fundamental issue with the idea that the that the collector could set up all these the the most elaborate traps in like you know six hours, right? You know, I was like, that's just so ridiculous. <laughs> and 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 in the original, the way it was originally written, uh, the little girl gets taken at the end. <laughs> okay. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, no way, no way, no way, no way, no. Yeah. I was, and I fought, fought against that. And I was just like, you know, we, our audience will hate us, you know? So, so then we decided to take him instead, you know, take Arkin uh, instead of the little girl, because he's a collector. So he collects, right. you know, this bad guy collects people. And so, but I just thought, no, my God, this little sweet little blonde girl and she's not that annoying you know a lot of times kids are annoying in movies you're like oh for god's yeah. sake take her take her exactly Collector, please exactly but then i didn't really think that was quite the you know uh so i always kind of felt like it was a good move that we made um and but you know something we uh, uh i pitched the idea that that um we could be led to believe that she was about to be collected so there's a little bit in there at the end where somebody is approaching her and we think, Oh no, it's the collector's going to snatch her up and ends up being, you know, like a deputy or something like that. So, you know, so it's just, it's like, it's, it's literally stuff like that. that just goes, you know, on and on and on and on and on until you're just ready. You know, as, as, as I think it was Picasso said, uh, you know, uh, Great works of art are never finished. They're, They're abandoned. abandoned. Not that the collector is a great oh, work of I know, art, but I know mind you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. As a matter of fact, quite frankly, you just answered, I think, the question that I always ask at the end of the show. I'm going to ask you now. And I ask every single creative this. When do you know you're done? Yeah, well, you, you're done when, like, you have to make the movie. <laughs> That's when you're done. Right. Because you are, your actors have a certain window and you can't push it or you're going to lose them. And um, I remember with, with the sequel, you know, my, my partners wanted to cast these like big name actors, which I was just like, guys, look, it's like I work with actors. It's, that's not going to happen. 
you know, they wanted like a very big actor to mm-hmm. play one of the roles. I was like, that's so not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we ended up waiting six months to get a no. Uh, and our entire shooting schedule was pushed off. We were supposed to shoot in the fall. We ended up shooting in the spring oh the following God. year. Um, you know, so, um, so to me, that was a bad mistake. But, but it, it is it, it, because you could go on and on and on and on forever. Right. I mean, it's like even even when the movie's done, there's 80,000 things that you'll wish you had changed yep. in the script phase. Yep. You know, I, I was I was just watching a movie with my son last night. I'm not going to say it because I don't know if anybody in it is a client. But <laughs> um, but like I love the concept. I thought it was funny. But the third act was just was 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 really a mess. And even my son is. 14 said, yeah, it was rushed. And I thought that was a great word. I was like, mm. yeah, good for you. You're exactly right. Mm. It was rushed. And rushed because they spent time on the wrong stuff mm. rather than the stuff that they should have been focusing on. But clearly at some point, you know, somebody thought that script was was done. Now, if it crossed my desk, I would have said it's not done. Um, but it, you know, it's you got to make the movie when you can make the movie. Again, it's like this. It's art. It's art versus commerce. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, what I find interesting, I just realized this because I know that you do this. I can tell you watch a movie and you're like, oh, that's the third act. That's the second act. This is where the gun goes off. Like all, you know, the machinations of the film, right? Or the script. I do the exact same thing with music. I can tell you, oh, that's the bridge. That's the up. You know, I don't really know my theory that well of that at all, but I've been doing it for so long. I think in terms of like chorus, verse, bridge, they did that, they did that move. Am I right you about know, that for you? You know, Jeff, I will be honest and say you're half right. Okay. When the movie is great, I, I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. I don't, even, I don't even stop to think about it. And it's only when the movie is bad or let me just say doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I'll start to think about things. Now, when a movie's really, really great and I'm a couple of days out of it, I'll really start to think about it and really start to break it down. A movie that I just, I loved. I saw it late. I came to it late in the game. I saw it on a long flight to South Africa last year. Um, oh God, I'm having a senior moment. I, already, already, I told you I'm so bad with titles all of a sudden. You are. Um, what was the log yeah. line? <laughs> it's, it was so good. Uh, and the actress was, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. And it won Best Screenplay. Wow. So this would have been not this past Oscars, but the one just before. Huh? Best Original Screenplay. So anybody who's who is an Oscar geek will know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And But so hindsight you know i sort of just start to think about it and then i looked at the script and 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 i was breaking it down and it's really it's really a superb script as far as i'm concerned and it will eventually come to mind oh, yeah, i'll I just can... blurt i'll just blurt it out sometime <laughs> before now and wait 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 wait, 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 wait i may have it i may have it was it tw- it's was got it, the uh... word woman in it it's got the word woman in it for 2000 so i can't remember 2021 uh, i guess so yes Promising young woman. Yep. Boom. Sorry, I'm so embarrassed, but there you go. <laughs> That's okay. t- I have literally trillions of titles in my head. I Not know. just screenplays, but movie, everything. <laughs> so, and then 
just sometimes it, you know, the mechanisms are just a little out of gear. Inspired, uh, but, inspired. <laughs> but you know something? I can always find it because like, I remember that it's got the word woman in it, right? Yeah. So thank God for the internet. Yeah. You can go to the internet. You can write, you know, um, Oscar winner, 2021 woman. And then it will come up. You'll be like, there you go. You know, uh, or I can remember that the actress's first name is Carrie. Yep. Carrie Mulligan. There yep. you go. I think it's Carrie Mulligan. You're right. And yeah, you just got to talk about it, you know, and then everything starts to just, it just floods. It's a deluge of information just <laughs> exactly. comes forward. <laughs> so there's a couple, that was, a, that was an amazing interaction, by the way. Um, but anyway, but it's a great, it's a really, it's a great movie. I got to see it. And, and you know, while we're real quick, while we're kind of trading movies, have you heard or seen the movie Nine Days? Nine Days, uh, yeah, that was with uh, with Winston. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie yeah. changed. That movie changed my life. My friend produced it, and it is. It's a great. It's a great. I was surprised that it sort of didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I thought maybe it might have captured the whim of the Academy, especially because it had such a wonderful message at such a tough time in the world. And, and it's, it's really, it's, it's really worth seeing. It's beautiful. It's unique. It's a beautiful, beautiful, unique film. And the thing, honestly, that I love about it is that that concept that life is so precious and so beautiful that souls compete to be born. That's that idea blew me away and there was that one line when Winston says to one of the souls and they're interviewing him and the guy and and the uh, the soul says what's different about here besides over there and Winston says you see those emotions you feel right now they're kind of flat over there they're big they're beautiful and I'm like what a great example of that you know yeah yeah you know when I was a kid I loved the story of the bluebird it's that French it was a French children's book and it was a play and I don't know when it was written, maybe, you know, early 20th century or something. And there is a portion in that book where we meet people who are waiting to be born. So there's souls who are waiting to be born. Yeah. Uh, and they're all in the form of young people. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you have these like star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. where uh, she is going to be born into a a time that's, you know, like two centuries before or after her lover. So they're going to have to part soon. There's sort of this despondent young thinker who we sort of understand is going to be Abraham Lincoln. And it's very heavy handed, but it's very beautiful too. And that's, that's what nine days kind of reminded me of Yeah, a little bit. And what's so interesting is that it speaks to the fact that no matter how something original is, it may not always be that original, you know, there's still maybe yeah. a facsimile of it somewhere. And it's just about trying to sort of spin it in a unique way. That's an excellent point. A uh, couple more things I want to chit chat with you here about. I saw it. Well, first of all, I saw that you've got uh, a couple of things coming up, Crooked Creek and Solitary. Yeah. Well, Crooked Creek, we are, we're sort of in the early stages. We're trying to get a director where you have an actress attached to it and, we're trying to get a director on it now and um, and solitary is in post-production and that's with David Oyelowo. Right. And um, uh, I'm not sure actually when that's going to be released. So there's, there's a specific reason I'm asking about this because um, I know the prison world really, really well. I've been, thank God I was never in it, 
but I work with a lot of people in, in a couple of fields who are kind of like post-incarceration world. And so I'm extraordinarily familiar with like the PTSD and the specific nature of people that are getting out of prison and that whole world. So I'm extremely interested in that. And specifically, I saw that you, um, you've been teaching uh, writing skills to prisoners. Well, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Many, many years ago, actually. Yes. Back before I got into the business, when I was in graduate school, I did. Yeah. Why? It was, it was very, it was very rewarding. It was really yeah. great. I did it at the Arthur Kill Correctional Facility. I was teaching from Mercy College, which is a college, uh, I wouldn't say upstate New York, but, you know, maybe like halfway upstate or something. Oh. And, um, and what, what an amazing job. I, the, the, the students that I had, Maurice Green was a convicted pimp and he would after class teach me how to pimp. Yeah. Um, uh, dead serious. Yeah. Uh, the most colorful, uh, 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 funny, a couple of scary yeah. uh, guys, but uh, very, very rewarding. I only did it for a year. And then I moved to Los Angeles. It's such a rewarding thing. I mean, the reason why I know this is because I went to rehab about 10 years ago. I've got about 10 years of not drinking, but 10 years ago, I went to this rehab and it was a drug court thing in Pasadena. So about 80% of the clients were all fresh out of prison or jail. And I got to learn how to make a shank. And I got to learn about that world from them. And I got to be friends with these really incredibly weird people. But it was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this this was a medium security facility. So these inmates were doing um, the final seven years of a longer sentence or uh, a shorter, uh, you know, one to seven years. Right. And uh, so, you know, we had a couple of murderers in there. One guy murdered a Manhattan millionaire when he sort of jilted his mom. Wow. Uh, and, and yes, you know, there were really great stories uh, in there. And, and, and of course, uh, I never kind of shy from asking questions as we did earlier, as you might no. Yeah. And, uh, and because I'm like, hey, if somebody doesn't want to answer the question, they'll just say, you know, I'd rather not answer it. And uh, so, you know, I was always like, uh, I was always acting like I was in a Jimmy Cagney movie. I was like, what you in for? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, because I love that. You know, I was never going to not ask them why. I had to know why everybody was there. I remember I had one student, he was this really hands, this handsome Latino guy. And uh, one day he didn't come to class and I asked, you know, like, where was he? And nobody would tell me. And then a couple of days later, he, he shows up and he would, had the crap beat out of him. Oh. So he must have been in the hospital. Oh, my word. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's like this is a prison. This this yeah. is this is a dangerous spot. One of my favorite stories, if I may digress, was I had I had to make up a class. And so I decided to do it on a Saturday morning because that was really the only time that I could do it. And I went in and nobody showed up for my class. Not one student showed up. And I was furious. And I asked, you know, I finally asked the guard. I was like, did I get the time wrong or something? He was like, he was like, no, but you don't schedule a class on a Saturday morning. I was like, why? And he said, because soul train. Oh, (laughs) 
the students would not miss an episode of Soul Train. That's fantastic. You know, women dancing and, you know, yeah. was, I just, I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I was right. like, here you go. This is, this is the privileged white guy, you know, teaching, <laughs> totally. teaching in a prison was no concept of, of culture or, or <laughs> you know, or anything. Oh. But, you know, I used to smuggle in contraband. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this now, but. I used to smuggle in contraband. I would bring in, I don't want to sound sexist now because I, but you know, but this was back when. And so I would bring in, uh, what do you call them? Like, you know, uh, men's magazines, oh, like yeah. Playboy and stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I would give those out as prizes, um, uh. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for, for attendance or for yeah. A's. Yeah. Needless to say, my class was truly the most popular. <laughs> of course, of yeah. course it was. Yeah. <laughs> However, though, I've always been afraid. I'm like, my God, I don't want, I don't want any of those guys knocking on my door today. Oh, of course you not. Know? No, like, statue Whoa. limitations. Statue mm-hmm. limitations. So mm-hmm. uh, speaking of class, I got to wrap up this quickly because I got to get to my class, my final class for grad school for psychotherapy. Hooray. Wow. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, very excited about that. But Here's how we're going to end this show. It's the same way that I end the show every time. We're going to pretend to say goodbye, and then we're going to do a little thing. Then we're going to quote-unquote hang up, and then you are going to chit-chat before we officially say goodbye. Deal? Deal. Here we go. Uh, Mr. Lockhart, thank you. Really, thank you so much for this interview. I really do appreciate the time. The fact that I got a chance to talk about Stan Freeberg for a heartbeat, my father is going to be very proud. Great, great conversation. Now you. Thank you, Jeff. It is great. Uh, it was fun to just kind of chit chat about kind of stuff that I wouldn't normally talk about. Yeah, well, that's how the show works. Okay, well, uh, so I'm going to hang works. up. It works. I want to hang up. Pretend to hang up, and then we'll keep chatting. Hang tight. Right. And click. <laughs>